I'll add my welcome to Heather's Heather. Thank you for leading us this morning. And um, if you're if you are visiting with us, I hope you'll let us know. Uh, I say it. You, of course, if you're visiting, you don't ever hear. You've never heard it. But I don't think you're here by accident. And uh, trust that you'll run right into what the Lord has for you. You may be wondering why you're here, and uh, but the Lord knows. And so I'm I'm glad you're here with us. Uh, to our veterans this morning, I want to say thank you. This is Veterans. Day weekend, and I want to express my deepest gratitude for your service and your sacrifice. Um, those that have served in the military many times have put their life on hold and sometimes have put their life on the line to secure the freedom that we have. And so, with a heartfelt thanks, um, want to express that gratitude to our veterans. Yeah. All right, if you've got your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's where we're going to be. We're going to do the second half or second three-fourths of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And, and so, how we're going to approach it, I'm going to read beginning in verse 17, and I'm going to read all the way to the end of it because I want us to hear uh, God's Word in context, and then I'll come back through and we will uh, we'll walk through uh, some of the pieces of it as we seek to understand what Paul has to say. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning verse 17. Here's what he says. Only let the person lead the life, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when you called? Do not be concerned about that. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who, has call, who was called in the name of the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no commandment from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you Bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, 
Let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but I mean, the unmarried. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. If you would, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help this morning. The words of Paul, um, I confess, they're hard for us today. And, And I pray that you'd help by your spirit, take your word and use it to transform us. So we need wisdom and understanding. That means eyes to see and hearts to hear. Father, I pray your spirit would, um, he would work on us, each of us where we are. So that at the end of the day, Father, at the end of this time in your word, we would gaze upon you. We ask for that, and that you draw us to your Son, Jesus, and we pray this the only way we can, and that's in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Well, I, uh, so I was reading that uh, out loud, and some of you were thinking, well, that seems hard. And the truth is, it is. I, so last week and this week, I, I'll tell you, I, somebody was asking me, um, you know, how study was going because, you know, last week was hard. And, and how's, this, how's the rest of First Corinthians 7 going? I said, hard. This is, I, of, I've, almost 25 years I've done this, all right? And I would tell you, 20 solid years I've done this. This, First Corinthians chapter 7, is the hardest 
chapter I have ever had to study for to preach. I feel like I, you know, I can handle this in a counseling room. I, I say handle it. I feel comfortable in a counseling room. I could talk about this in front of a seminary class. This is a very difficult passage to preach because I know as you hear this, it, it, it's hard to understand. What is Paul doing? Why is he saying this? He sounds like he says this thing here, and then he turns around and contradicts himself with what he says here. What is happening in this passage? And so I think one of the ways that I want to set this up is to tell you that as we read God's Word, one of the things we're looking at, God's Word is communicated. God's revealed His Word to us to tell us who He is. Above all things, who God is. And in the midst of that, what happens is when, when God tells us who He is, what naturally follows is, is an understanding of not only God and his holiness and, and all of his attributes. But we also come to understand who we are in our finiteness, in our uh, sinfulness, in our need to be saved. And so God says, this is who I am. And as a result, this is who you are. And then we're informed of the Son of God who we discover has been with God. He is God and all along and has stepped out of eternity into history to bridge the gap between who God is and what our need is, how, how we can actually relate to God, how we can be re reconciled to God. And Jesus comes as God in the flesh to do what we could never do, and that is to restore us rightly to the Creator. All right. That's what the Bible does. It, 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 it um, uh, puts, ours, puts us to death, so to speak, and brings us to life. And so when Paul writes, and most of the time we uh, encounter Paul in the New Testament in his letters and other biblical writers, but Paul in particularly, we see Paul writing with this apostolic authority. This is who God is. And the correlation between who God is and, and then thusly who we are and what our need is, that is clear. And it is that way in almost every chapter that Paul writes... And then you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and there's something that, that seems a little different about Paul here. And so, the way I would explain it is this. P Paul's writing to us with a, a theology that is no less authoritative than everything else he writes. He, he absolutely is telling us... Um, uh, who, who God is in, in, in that sense and, and who we are as a result. God is eternal because we've been saved as believers. We are now eternal. We have a divine appointment with eternity. The world's temporary. It's passing away. We are eternal. That is absolutely what Paul is saying in this chapter, and that's true. The challenge comes that Paul here is going to be so pastoral to his people. Because the thing is that here, here are this, these biblical principles. Here's this theology. And Paul is encountering or coming face to face 
with the brokenness and the messiness and the sinfulness, in some cases, the complexity of practical life here on planet earth. These are people whose lives are complex. They have decisions that are hard. They have things that face them, and they need to know what to do. And, and Paul, he's, he's going to say, I, I'm using my best judgment here. I'm, I'm taking biblical principles, and I want to apply them to these complex situations. Because that's what we do in the church. And sometimes the, the answers require wisdom that comes from the Spirit and from knowing God's Word and from a, a counsel of other believers because the answers might not be the same for everybody. How we view God, now that's going to be the same. God's eternal. He's called us to a divine, eternal appointment with Him forever. And we're called to look at life through that perspective. But how that applies for each of us might be different. And that's what Paul is reckoning with in this chapter. Look at what he says. Verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. I, I, something, he says, I, I tell all the churches this. Now, remember... What Paul is arguing is at the beginning of this chapter, they had written him a letter. The letter said something like, hey, Paul, we heard that it is more spiritual if a man doesn't touch a woman. And we wanted to be spiritual. And so we were applying that to marriage. And so one of the things we've been going around, so sort of we made up bumper stickers that said, no hanky-panky in the marriage, something like that. But there were some people that they're kind of upset with that, and they think their hanky-panky should be okay in the marriage, and we think it shouldn't be. What do you say, Paul? And Paul writes him and says, y'all are crazy. <laughs> if you're married, be married. I mean, get after it. In the name of the Lord. I mean, to the glory of God, be married. At the same time, he also says, now listen, that's not to throw shade on the single life. The single life is a gift from God. In fact, I have the single life. I've been given that from God. I, he's, he's freed me. I think part of what he's saying is he's freed me from the burden of sexual desire apart from marriage. And I wish everybody had that gift. But not everybody has that gift. If you're married, stay married and be good at it. And if you're not married, don't be looking across the way and going, oh, well, that's greener grass. I, you know, I, I'm not going to be complete in my life if I'm not married. And uh, People that are, that are um, married are more spiritual or, or all kinds of things that, that single people say or that married people say about single people. And he's saying, look, both are great. Let's elevate both of them to the glory of God. Now, in verse 17, it's the same discussion. He's saying, stay where you are. When you were called, and he means by this, when you were saved, when the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who stepped out of eternity into history, took on humanity, 
and died for your sins and laid in your grave, so to speak, and then was raised to new life. And then when you saw that and by faith you believed that and you said, I'm counting on that for my relationship with God. I believe this. I believe what Jesus did. And I'm counting on that and nothing else. I am renouncing everything that I think I could possibly do to get to God because I know I could never get to him on my own. But Jesus has done that. And I'm trusting him. That's your calling. And he says, when you were called, in whatever circumstance you found yourself, stay there. You don't have to think about Christianity in such a way that says, oh, well, when, I'm, you know, when I become a Christian, I need to become a missionary, okay? So some people need to become missionaries. That's great. But for the most part, you don't have to say, oh, well, I just, I just work in an office. I guess I'm like, you know, I'm on the eighth grade B team of Christianity. I should, I should try to get to the JV or the varsity. I need to do, no, you can stay right where you are. God's called you. He has a place for you. That's part of his will. Stay right there and be a believer. He's applying this. He's saying this because he's been talking about marriage. You're married? If you're married, God called you to salvation in the midst of your marriage. Stay right there and be married. That's what God means for you to do. You don't have to change your current circumstances to fit with your Christianity. There's no prerequisite like that. You, wherever God's called you, you can be a Christian right there. In fact, he means for you to be a Christian right there. You have a divine appointment with eternity. You are now from the future. You're, you're going to live forever. And he's going to say, in the midst of a world that's passing away, the time is short. So live for then, not now. Don't worry about now. Don't worry about those things. Now, there are some exceptions. And let me just say this. And Paul doesn't necessarily deal with this here, but you can extrapolate this from other things that Paul says, like... If you are a drug dealer and you get saved, Paul's not saying, then deal drugs to the glory of God. No, no, no. Don't, don't be a drug dealer, all right? Um, that would be an exception. And there are probably a couple of others. But at the same time, I read just, just not long ago uh, an article about Alice Cooper. Some of you are like, who's Alice Cooper? Some of you are like, rock on, Alice Cooper. And so, but Alice Cooper is a believer and became a believer in the 80s. And, and um, man, totally in, uh, uh, goes to a Bible church in, in uh, Arizona, as a matter of fact, which I'm sure is crazy when he shows up and people are like, who? Um, but he, but he loves the Lord. And he, and he had a pastor who gave him some wise counsel. He, he was worried, man, maybe I need to, maybe there are a bunch of things I need to change. And, and the guy was like, well, yeah, probably, you know, alcohol and drugs, you should probably take that out of your lifestyle. But man, it's okay to play your music. And God's given you this gift, this talent. And so he did and he does. And he's this witness in the midst of a, of a whole industry and a whole culture, you know? And he says, look, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a Christian singer. I'm just, I'm a Christian who rocks, man. And I'm like, yeah, right on, Alice Cooper. And, and that's part of what Paul's saying. And then he's going to give two analogies. 
And I got to say this because he's going to talk about circumcision and he's going to talk about slavery. Paul's points are not about circumcision and slavery. They're just illustrations that he's trying to make. Look, stay where you are. I've been talking about marriage. Let me illustrate this with circumcision and with slavery. And most scholars believe he picks circumcision and slavery because those two issues were not impassioned issues for the Corinthians. They were neutral. There was no issue with circumcision, probably no issue with the issue of slavery uh, um, with the Corinthians. Now, the Galatians, big deal with circumcision, but not so with the Corinthians. So these are two analogies to illustrate the principle, stay where you are, where, you know, live the li- lead the life that the Lord has assigned to you when he calls you. Verse 18, real quick. Was any of you, uh, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Just think about that for a second. (laughs) You know that's not the issue, right? I mean, that'd be be hard to do. I'm just saying. The issue isn't about a surgical reversal or or whatever. That's not what he's talking about. He's like, you're circumcised? Stay circumcised. You're uncircumcised? Stay uncircumcised. You, you don't have to change all these circumstances in your life. You can, you can thrive as a believer in whatever circumstance you find yourself. He is going to, you know, verse 19, the circumcision counts for nothing, uncircumcision counts for nothing. He's keeping the, the commandments of the Lord. It's following Jesus is what he's saying. Now, in verse 20, he reiterates the principle again. To make sure we remember what we're talking about, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Verse 21, now he's going to give us an example that while it probably was not an impassioned example when he wrote this to the Corinthians, years later, centuries later, this would become impassioned for the church. Is Paul somehow promoting slavery? No. But he is saying... Slavery of men is no match for the freedom that's offered in Christ. If you find yourself in an oppressed situation like this, certainly do all you can to free yourself from it and take the opportunity. But if not, this does not limit the relationship you have with Christ. That's what he's saying. Verse 23, you were bought with a price. And then he makes this word place. Look, look, if you're, if you're a slave, here's the great news. You're free in Christ. The freedom in Christ is greater than any, any bondage you can find yourself in. And oh yeah, by the way, if you're free in Christ, now you're a bond slave. You're a slave to Jesus. And he's word playing it. What matters is not the situation you find yourself in. What matters is who you are in relationship with. And once you are in relationship with Christ, that trumps everything. Because you're eternal now. Destined for forever. 
He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, these temporary light afflictions, they're nothing compared with the weight of glory that awaits us. And he means that. So, so that's what he's saying. Stay where you are. You don't have to worry about it. You, you can let yourself off the hook. And not only that, you can keep yourself from the dissatisfaction that says, oh, well, there's greener grass over there as a believer. Paul says, no, that's not, that's not the case. So, look, let's, let's keep going. Um, the 24, he reiterates the principle, whatever in condition you find yourself there, remain with the Lord. Now, now in verse 25, here's what's happening. Um, Paul now, he, so he's addressed um, the, the married people. And he has addressed everybody with the principle of stay where you are. So, be where you are. Bloom where you're planted. Maybe that's a way to say it. Now he's going to address, verse 25, it says, Now concerning the betrothed. Some of your translations have the virgins. Let me tell you who this category is. It is the category, likely, of people that um, they're not married, but they're, uh, the arrangement for their marriage has already been made. In the first century, how marriage happened was an arrangement. There's some speculation of, is it total parent arrangement? Is it parent, you know, plus individual? You know, you get some say in it, however. But the way they would do it is they would come and say, okay, uh, my daughter is going to marry your husband and we'll, uh, you know, and we'll bind this, you know. And then the husband, he's got to get ready and build the house and do all that stuff and get ready for that. And there's a period of betrothment where you're not married, you're not living together as married people, but you're committed to each other. And to step out of that relationship with anybody else would have been considered an adultery or a, a betrayal, okay? So the question is, they're, they're saying to Paul, hey, we've got people, they must have had like this huge like college and career class, right? Or, or something. Bunch of singles, and they're all arranged, and they're supposed to get married. And so they said, Paul, but they became saved. Should they go ahead with the marriage or not? That's what Paul's answering. So he says in verse 25, I have no command from the Lord, which means Jesus didn't teach about this in the Gospels. This is a situation he did not encounter and did not teach about. I don't have any commandment from Jesus about this. But I give my judgment, he says, which is more than an opinion. When Paul says this, it means I'm giving you my judgment under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is no less inspired word of God. I'm going to take biblical principles and I'm going to apply them to this practical situation. I give my judgment. Notice, he doesn't call upon his apostolic authority and he doesn't... Look at what he says. I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. What we see here is one of the most beautiful pastoral statements that the Apostle Paul will make. I, listen, by God's mercy, 
in my life. And when he says that, he's thinking of Acts chapter 9 and the road to Damascus. Because of God's mercy in my life. I want you to trust me. Because I care about you. I have, you'll say it, look at verse 35. I say this, all these things I've been saying, I say for your benefit. I'm not trying to put a noose on you. I'm not trying to lay a heavy yoke of burden on you. I'm not trying to restrain you. I'm promoting good order and, and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. I want you to love the Lord more. so pastoral and so different for us because Paul's going to say look you need wisdom here here's a biblical principle and then and then in some ways there are several all these situations they're different and how how they get applied is different he, he says in, in, in verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, so there is something going on in Corinth that they would call that there's a distress, and we don't know what it is. Could be something local to Corinth that, that there was some persecution or suffering or a sickness or a plague or something going on, and there's a distress. And Paul says, look, everything, all the, all the big decisions of life, put those on hold. You don't need to make any decisions right now. Let's get through this. That could be what he's saying. It could be that he's talking about in the greater uh, context of the church that suffering and persecution was, was beginning in earnest and the church was moving through a time of, of, of real persecution and, and they'd already seen that. And that may be what he's talking about. Either way... Paul says there's this thing going on. And, and, and that's not the only thing he appeals to. In verse 29, the appointed time's grown very short. In verse 31, this present form of the world's passing away. There's several motivations, but this in this present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. And then are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. You're free from wife. And he's not saying, certainly he's not saying, but when the distress is over, you know, when this thing happens, if you want to get rid of your wife, that's okay. That's not what he's saying. Now, verse 28, but if you do marry, if you're betrothed, then you end up marrying. It's not a sin. It's okay to do that. And if you have a betrothed woman who marries, she hasn't sinned. Yet those who marry, verse, I'm in verse 28, uh, those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I want to spare you that. Now, <laughs> There, so it could be that Paul is saying, when you get married, is, is, is a bunch of trouble. He would not be entirely wrong. He might be saying that. He might be speaking to the challenge that comes with being married. It, it's the kind of thing when I do premarital counseling with a couple, I, this is what I try to convince them of, all right, whether Paul means this or not. I try to say, look, I know you're just crazy in love with this person and, and, they, and you just can't imagine waking up one morning about six months from now and going, why in the world did I, do, why did no one tell me? 
and I'm here telling you. I feel like it's part of my job in premarital counseling. Try to get them not to marry each other. Or at least shake them out of the naivete that everything's going to be, you know, rainbows and puppies. The whole, it, no, this deal's hard. Maybe that's what Paul means. It could be that, that he's speaking about, you know, troubles and persecution that would come and the difficulty of, of marriage and, and a husband gets dragged away and has to deny Christ for the sake of protecting his family. I mean, there were things that were real and that were coming in the church. Maybe he means that. But either way, pastorally, uh, 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 there's trouble coming and I want to spare you. And, uh, but if you marry, that's not a sin. You haven't done anything wrong. And then verse 29, just real quick, he says, and this is what I mean, brothers. And then from 29 to 31, Paul is going to explain what he means. The irony of this is that verses 29 to 31, I have read hundreds of pages with thousands of footnotes. And however clear Paul thinks he is here, I can tell you with Peter who says, there are some things that Paul writes that are very hard to understand. And that's this. I, you're like, wait a minute, he starts with those who have wives, live like you don't have any. But you just said if you're married, do get after marriage. So the key to what he's saying, I think, from 29 to 31, when he says all these things, is found in what's said at the beginning of 29 and the end of 31. Put 29 up there, it says, the appointed time has grown very short. The end of 31, look at what it says, the end of it. For the present form of this world is passing away. The time is short. The present form of this world's passing away, which implies there's another form of the world coming and it won't pass away, it's eternal. We find that in Revelation chapter 20, 21, 22. New heavens and a new earth. This is temporary. And it's short. And what Paul is saying is, it would be silly then, right, to tether yourself to a world, to anchor yourself to the things that are temporary and that are passing away when you actually are from the future. You have a divine appointment for eternity. So it would be silly to anchor and tether yourself to what is fleeting and not anchor and tether yourself to your eternity. That's his point. Which is what we don't do very well when we're making big decisions, right? We think, listen, the decision comes, we feel the, uh, the impact of it, and sometimes they are. They're big decisions. I'm not saying they're not big decisions, but we can get so caught up in thinking that it is so big and forgetting that, you know what, we need the eternal view of our life in the midst of this decision. Because this is temporary. This is passing away. This is not my forever. That is my forever. And Paul wants us to be people who are not tethered to this world, but who are anchored 
in the life we have been saved for. We need to be people who think of ourselves as eternal people, as kingdom people. The already has started. Our experience is not yet, but it doesn't mean it's not coming. And so we lay up treasures not here on earth. We lay up treasures in heaven to come. That's his point. And so he says in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxiety. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. It probably is a positive anxious to be concerned about. He's able to focus on that. But the married man's anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. Now, it sounds like Paul's dogging on marriage and, and a man, you know, having to not only think about the things of the Lord, but also, man, it, it, is his wife cared for? Are her needs met? And, and is my family, my, you know, I've got to go to work and I've got to support my family and I have to do those things. And, and so we're divided. He's not saying that's bad. That's just the reality. You cannot forsake the care and nurturing of your wife and your family with the excuse of, oh, yeah, but, the, you know, the Lord's real important, and I had to do the Lord things and fantasy football, but mostly the Lord. Bum. He said, look, you got to care about that. Now, what he really wants is for us to view everything in our life with a vision of what it looks like to serve the Lord and live for the Lord forever. That's what we're created for and saved for and recreated for, born again to. And while everything's changed, in some ways nothing's changed. We have circumstances and, and responsibilities in the life we live in. We want to do those well to the glory of God. That This is his point. The end of verse 34, but the married woman's anxious about the worldly things, how to please your husband. Verse 34, I say this to your own benefit, not to lay a restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. In verse 36, if anybody thinks that they're, what he's saying is betrothed, but because of your sexual desire and, and your, you, you, you can't control yourself, go ahead and get married. That's not a sin. Do that. Go ahead. He said earlier, it's better to marry than to burn. But verse 37, hey, if you firmly establish in your heart, being under no necessity, this is not a compulsion. I'm not saying you have to do this. But you have your desire under control and you've determined in your heart to keep her as a betrothed, you do well. It's okay. And Paul is now elevating singleness to a place it has never been elevated to before in the history of the world, actually. And to say, if God's given you this gift and the ability to be able to stay single and to say, you know what, my devotion is to the Lord for this season of life or for this lifetime, then man, do that. That's well. In fact, he'll say about it later, better. It's not in any way to diminish marriage. It is to say this is a special call in the life of some for the church. We, we as the church have to do better at affirming this, encouraging it, supporting it, 
celebrating it. Doesn't mean you get married, you did anything wrong. No way. Doesn't mean you're single for 10 years and all of a sudden you, you, you get married. You didn't do anything wrong. What he's trying to say is, look, too many people look across the aisle and go, man, that grass is greener over there. If I could just be single again, then I'd, then, then I'd, I'd really devote that to the Lord. I could be a better believer. I'd be more spiritual. I'd love God more. No. Or single, you spend your time with something's wrong with me or I'm, this isn't working out. Or, if I could just be married, then I could love the Lord more. I'd be more spiritual. I'd, 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 I'd have the Lord's favor. I'd know he loved me more. No. Wherever you are, the Lord means for you to love him. You can honor him exactly where you are because that's where he means for you to be. Craig Barnes said this great thing. Love is a blessing in our lives only when we receive it as this surprising gift, never when we make it the fulfillment of our dreams. You can rest in where you are. Okay. Um, all right, so you got that part? You got that bit? All right. 39 and 40, real quick, a word to the widows. If your husband dies, you can marry if you want to. He says, in my judgment, though, it's better if you don't marry. Or you're happier, he says. He's <laughs> probably right. And then he ends with, and I think that I too have the spirit of God, which is probably a just peculiar, special, awesome, apostolic dig at the believers in Corinth that thought they were so wise, you know, and, all, and he says, you know, okay, I, I probably have the Spirit too, um, which is a thing like only Paul could say, but man, he said it. Uh, it's awesome. He, like, uh, praise the Lord. Uh, chapter 7 is concluded. Some of you are like, this is the weirdest sermon I ever heard. The weirdest one I ever preached. Uh, let me give you just a couple of principles. And, and so what can we take away from this, all right? It, realizing, I said last week, I mean it again this week, Paul didn't say everything there is to say about marriage, didn't say everything there is to say about singleness or divorce or remarriage. He was not intending to do that. He's answering a couple of questions that came his way. Here are some principles I think we can extrapolate, all right? One, celibacy or singleness, uh, for extended period of time or a lifetime. It requires self-control that's empowered by the Spirit. It's going to be a gift that comes by way of the Spirit. And, and self-control, he says several times in this chapter, that's a part of it. The ability to be able to guard your heart and to guard your mind and to guard your body with a, with a vigilance uh, an active discipline, and that can come, and it comes for some people as a gift from God, and so it should be celebrated. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, Paul says that's how he is, and he wished everybody was, but he knows they're not. Now, it's presented this way, or, or one of the ways, but it's not the only thing, but marriage and even remarriage is one of the remedies 
for the lack of self-control. It's not the only reason for it because, listen, it doesn't deal with all of our issues of self-control or self-indulgent, and those still have to be kept intact, but marriage is, is, is part of God's design. And it's better to marry than to burn with an uncontrolled passion. That's what he says. Marriage and even remarriage, that's actually the context, is remarriage. Now, remarriage, a word about that. Paul doesn't say everything there is to say. I think um, one of the ways that we talk about remarriage is if you look through the Bible, a couple of things I would say about it. Uh, the Bible has a few things to say about divorce, Old Testament and New Testament, Deuteronomy 24, Mark chapter 10, and the parallel passages, Matthew chapter 5. And so divorce, here's some things about it. God hates it. And Jesus also says there are some reasons that Moses allowed it, in beginning with the hardness of our hearts and the actions that some take in a marriage to break a covenant. Adultery follows, falls under that. And when the Bible speaks about divorce, here's one of the things that is interesting. It assumes remarriage. It just does. So the Bible gives some instructions about remarriage. Ideal instructions. Instructions that as believers we should seek to uphold and honor. It's the responsibility of the church to say this is God's design and we don't want to step out of God's design. So, so adultery is one of those things for, that can end a marriage, break a covenant that and someone can remarry from. Abandonment, that's another one. It's probably here in this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when an unbeliever leaves a believer. I think abuse can make a case for that. I want to make a case for that. Um, I can, I think, from Exodus 21 and some other places. And the death of a spouse. And that seems to be, so if people are looking for rules and what's okay and what's not okay, well, that seems to be what the Bible says. Now, at the same time, I also want you to know, listen to me so clearly here this morning. If you're here this morning and you are married and you're in a second marriage or third marriage or whatever it is, I don't say that to say the marriage that you're in now is wrong. You may need to say, Lord, I need to confess the the. the previous marital activity in my life. Maybe that's what you need to do and you've never done it. Do that. But I want you to hear, whoever you came with this morning that you're married to, leave with them married. You're married to exactly who God means for you to be married to right now. I don't understand that. I don't, I'm not trying to account for everything in the past, but I am accounting for right now, remain as you are. And if anyone in here has an idea to abuse what I've been saying and to, and to use divorce as some uh, uh, opportunity for serial adultery, please come meet with me in my office and talk to me about that. We'll get, Scott Killow will be there too. As angry as you look right now, you'll be there with me. No. But I'm just saying, no, don't, don't abuse this. 
Paul means he, he wants to say these are biblical principles. I'm trying, trying to apply them to complex, practical situations in life. God loves marriage and he hates divorce. And he gifts single people for seasons of their lives, sometimes a lifetime. And so we want to celebrate that and elevate it. Stop calling things sin that's not sin. But where there is sin, let's confess it. Because we're not people who are tethered to the now, we're tethered to the then. This is a temporary world passing away. It would be silly for us to anchor our hopes here. Our hopes are anchored in the kingdom to come. That's what he means. All right. There's so much more to say. But next week is 1 Corinthians 8, so that's good. (laughs) Father, thanks for the time we've had and for your word. And I pray, Father, oh, I pray that things that were true said this morning, you'd help us seal that for us. Well, I don't want to forget what's true. Father, for anything that came out of my mouth today that does not accord with your word, I pray you would burn it up right now and it would be forgotten forever. Draw us to your son. Grant us more of a glimpse of your glory for having worshipped you today and worshipped you uh, alongside and and shoulder to shoulder with other believers. We want to see you more. So I pray you'd help us do that. We ask this the only way we can in the name of your son Jesus and by the power of your spirit. Amen.